What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, social media silencing the president. How one app, mainly for conservatives, and riots at the Capitol have the nation reevaluating big tech's power. Journalist Joanne Littman on Parler's troubles and social media's rules of play. For years, the tech platforms either did not have or did not consistently enforce their own standards about what are the rules on their platform. And Axios business editor Dan Premack on big tech peer pressure. They all acted the next day, really one after another. Maybe it was just a question of kind of conscience dominoes, or maybe there was something in terms of law enforcement going to these companies and asking them to act. The Anti-Defamation League says tech companies' moves to suspend President Trump and drop Parler were wise ones. CEO Jonathan Greenblatt. Companies should not be agents of the state, but companies also shouldn't be agents of chaos. Those interviews plus corporate America is responding to last week's violence in its own way with their wallets. Hotel chain Marriott and the Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance group say they're going to stop giving money to Republican lawmakers who backed efforts to disrupt last week's electoral vote count. It's Monday, January 11th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. It's Monday, another week, and endless possibilities of what might unfold. Andrew? Okay, thanks, Becky. Uh, The big story over the weekend, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, they are among the platforms that have now blocked or removed President Trump's access following the breach of the Capitol last week. Shares of those social media companies uh, have uh, taken a uh, tumble over the weekend, including Twitter, down about 6%. In addition, Apple, Amazon, and Google took steps to boot Parler, which is a social media app that has grown in popularity among conservatives. Some rioters had used Parler to promote Wednesday's attack on the U.S. Capitol. The company's CEO said that Parler could be down for up to a week, but would try to get back online as quickly as possible. He accused big tech companies of conspiring to eliminate his platform from competition. And we're going to have a lot more on this story because uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very big one, uh, not just because uh, of the president, but what it really speaks to in terms of these big tech companies and what... Uh, they can or cannot do. Joe? It is. It's the world is uh, moving in a direction that that uh, that some people might feel a little bit uncomfortable with. I think even you probably uh, or all of us, uh, Andrew, at this point, it's like it's almost like, okay, you, you're off Twitter. You're done with Twitter. And then you say, I'm going to go to Parler. And so Twitter says that we don't want in. And Twitter's friends at Amazon, Apple, Google, all decide, no, you can't go to parlor because there's no parlor either. And it's all of a sudden you just you got you got nothing is it's a little bit. Uh, I, I'm actually just, so you know, I'm not al- I'm actually not bothered by it because they I, can I, do what they I'm want. A, I, they can do what they want. I understand as that. long as they're not, not consp- yeah. as long as they're not conspiring together. I actually think this is the ultimate version of the free market at work. This, this is, these are private enterprises making private decisions 
to do business with they people do that they, they want, want to do business with and that. to not do business. Exactly. I understand they can do what they want. I think, but what it does, I think what it does speak to is how powerful all of these social media companies have become and, and, and how much we rely on these big technology companies for so much information. I mean, it's been yeah. amazingly silent uh, from the White House since that time. And I, I think maybe that caught all of us a little bit by surprise. If, if you turn off Twitter, you turn off the noise almost entirely. Right. But here's the thing. I, I wouldn't want th these these some of the individuals running these companies deciding, you know, what what I can see. And I understand they're allowed to do it. But here's what I, I decided. It, let's say that the the cancel culture that pervades college campuses right now and who can speak there and who can't. I mean, Condi Rice couldn't speak at a college. I guess she was a war criminal. I don't know what the was rationale was. Or, it, it was. It, it was at Rutgers, which is my alma mater. It was sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up, but, but I, I <laughs> wouldn't want the squad deciding what I can see. I wouldn't want certain entities deciding that th this is no longer okay. It's starting to remind me of, of like Joe McCarthy or something. It's, I don't know, it just, well, I think it's a slippery slope. I don't want to head have, there and, I, you know. I, I, just two, two quick comments. Is, is, oh, do they just go, say go that ahead, they, they say they're not responsible for anything? I mean, there's, there's two extremes, right? They're either not ex responsible for anything or they're responsible for picking and choosing. Right. In broadcast, we're, we're responsible in, in television. We decide what guests come on and who gets to talk. Sure. We are publishers, so to speak. You know, it, it, it's, it's a really complicated question. And I think the reason that you see Twitter shares down today and some of these other companies as well is it probably means they're more ripe for any sort of regulation. You know, I mean, the, Andrew, the left we, and the right look well, that, at this very differently, but they all want to regulate them. There's pressure on big media companies not to carry Fox anymore. Not right. carry but Fox that, but that, what I was, Is that okay? I was just going to make two points. Look, every cable network doesn't have to carry every cable channel. Every book publisher doesn't have to publish every book. Every printer doesn't have to publish every newspaper. I, I it, know you that, keep making that point. It, I hear this, you, but this is the ways of the world what I, you're I, allowed to do and what, you, what, what the kind of world that you want. But I was or, also going to make another point. I, well, I want to make two, two points. One is that Becky referred to the president. He has been silent. That's a decision he's made on his own. He is uh, still the most powerful person in the world. He has an entire press corps that is standing by right outside his door. If he wanted to uh, go mm -hmm. to the podium uh, and make a statement, uh, I imagine a lot of media would carry it, assuming that he is not uh, inciting violence or something else. Uh, if he wanted to put out press comments, statements uh, and the like, you would be hearing from him. So the idea that he's silent because he doesn't have Twitter, I think, is, is a bit of a... Right. Uh, a false. Um, I think maybe Mike equivalent. Pence is the most powerful man in the that's, world that's right true. now. With uh, maybe I'm not kidding either. Well, but right. the, the, far, second, far the, the, the second thing is the yeah. the second thing is I don't believe in cancel culture at all. I mean, you and I we can debate that, but the First Amendment protects my ability to speak and to say what I want. It doesn't doesn't mean that other people have to listen to it. That's I, the difference. Andrew, I even think the ACLU, I think the ACLU is at this point, you know, it, between a rock and a hard place, too. We always have Jonathan, uh, Jonathan, I hope on later day, and, and he's always saying, well, you know, the ACLU is behind us completely. I think even the ACLU at this point is like, you know, because it, it is, we're headed no. in a, in, theoretically into a place where, if I can't watch Fox News, what do you suggest for me, uh, Andrew? They better get some new content on Netflix. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 I mean, I don't, or, or else I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to pick up a good book. I'm going to start reading a, a good book because, <laughs> I, I, anyway, um, let's get 1984. to. 1984?
there's another thing that got me, and I, I'm going to talk to Eamon. This is going to, I know you're going to, Andrew, you're going to get, you know, this is all controversial, what I'm going to tell Eamon to. House lawmakers are gearing up to try to remove President Trump from office. Eamon Jevers joins us now with more. Eamon, I understand that there's reasons uh, with impeachment, uh, you know, whether you can't run again for office, whether you don't get secret service. I understand all those, all those reasons. But when I see a headline that says, we really got to rush to impeach because this guy's going to be gone. Let me run you through exactly what we think is going to happen now based on what Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said yesterday uh, in a letter to colleagues. She said she's going to move forward with a resolution today calling on Mike Pence to move forward with the 25th Amendment and remove the president uh, because he's no longer capable of performing his duties. Uh, she says she'll give Pence 24 hours to move forward with the cabinet and remove the president from office today. Uh, if he does not do that, uh, she says, then uh, they will move forward with impeachment articles to the House floor uh, as soon as later this week. Uh, all of that uh, is because Democrats are saying uh, they feel that the president needs to be removed immediately. They're concerned about a number of things, including a potential pardon spree by the president of the United States before he leaves office. They're also concerned about whether or not he'll be able to run for office again. All of this is unclear in terms of where it's going to go in the United States Senate. Mitch McConnell suggesting that because of Senate rules, they might not be able to move forward with an impeachment removal uh, until January 19th. Remember, they have to hold a trial under the Constitution. The president has to be given the opportunity to defend himself uh, in that sort of court-like setting uh, that we saw last time in the Senate trial process. So all of that takes time. Not at all clear it could happen before January 20th when Joe Biden will be sworn in as the next president of the United States. So practically, this is about two things. One is whether or not the president can run for office in 2024. A majority vote in the Senate could block him from that. Uh, and then the other thing is a message to history about what Congress will tolerate and will not tolerate from presidents of the United States and what behavior uh, Congress views as acceptable from a president of the United States. And there's also that question in the short run about whether the president could move forward with pardons of a number of people, including anybody involved in the rampage on the Capitol on Wednesday, guys. So a, a lot of considerations here. Not at all clear where this is going to end, but we think it's going to begin today. So, Eamon, they uh, read conjecture over the weekend about when it would be voted on. So if, if you got 100 of the senators, you could do it quicker. But if you don't get that, then it's uh, the impeachment McConnell said would be scheduled for after he's already left office. Yeah, and if you can if you can move forward with unanimous consent in the Senate, you can do almost anything. The problem but is you, you can almost never probably. get unanimous consent, no. right? So right. Th there's, it's likely that so one of the the president's supporters in the Senate will block that. Whoever it is, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, uh, whoever you might see. So they have to go through the normal procedure, and that'll take some time. So this could happen as a vote after the president's already out of office. The question for Democrats is. Uh, do they want the first days of the Biden administration to be consumed with an impeachment vote in the Senate uh, when they're trying to get their nominees confirmed and move forward with Biden's 100-day agenda, right? So uh, the Senate sort of locks down on an impeachment trial. Uh, they're, tr they're trying to have confirmation hearings for, for major uh, cabinet positions. They're trying to move forward uh, with a legislative effort of the Biden administration. So you've seen some Democrats suggest that they could vote to impeach and then hold the articles, uh, not send them to the Senate until after Biden's first 100 days and make it a vote about whether Trump is eligible to run again in 2024. Uh, because under the impeachment process, that's one of the possibilities. You can simply ban somebody from ever uh, participating in, in 
sort of federal public life again. So that's yeah. a question as well. Eamon, just one really quick question on this. Um, in terms yeah. of if they actually move forward for impeachment, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's a, a majority vote in the House, but then 67 senators have to vote on it, so two-thirds of the Senate. I don't know what the count is. I've heard all over the place. I heard a count as low as 34 senators saying that they'd be in favor of it. But then you heard all of these Republican senators over the weekend who were kind of speaking out and saying they thought it was impeachable yeah. what had happened last week. So I know yeah, these are shifting sands, but how likely would it be to see 67? I don't know that we have a, a I don't number. know that we have an accurate whip count right now to, to get a sense of where, whether this could pass to, to convict and remove the president in the Senate. Uh, you are seeing a couple of Republicans calling for the president to simply resign right now, saying that what he's done means he should be out of office immediately. Presumably those Republicans are votes to convict and remove once you get there, if you get there. Uh, but I don't know that this would pass. And, you know, the politics of this are shifting second by second. I, I will say that, you know, what we learned over the weekend about how horrific this attack was, uh, more video coming out of officers uh, being beaten nearly to death with American flagpoles, uh, you know, officers being crushed in doors uh, as, uh, as rioters, organized rioters stormed the Capitol building and tried to force their way in. Uh, you know, those sorts of images and the visceral fear that a lot of members felt uh, as those violent protesters stormed the building, all of that plays into how they'll vote as well. I mean, I think this goes beyond sort of the ordinary political calculus on some level and goes into a real fear that they felt as they were being evacuated uh, and, and not at all clear that they were, that their lives were safe. Eamon, thank you. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, moving, uh, moving target here, and we will continue to listen to you about how things are working on the ground. Big tech and social media companies taking action to limit President Trump's online presence since last week's riot at the Capitol. YouTube, Google, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat and others have banned or restricted the president's accounts or pro-Trump channels. Joining us right now is Joanne Lippman, distinguished fellow for journalism at the Institute for Advanced Study at Princeton and a CNBC contributor. Dan Primack is also with us, business editor at, Axio, at Axios. Joanne, um, in addition to that, there's this really large debate happening about Parler and what I call even the Uber platforms trying to uh, take a stand, effectively taking them uh, off of the app creates all sorts of bigger, almost even bigger implications because it means they're going to be potentially policing or looking to oversee or may have to oversee all of the apps on these systems. Um, what do you think the larger implication is long term? You're looking at the stocks, by the way, this morning down because I think there's an expectation that uh, regulation, if it wasn't coming before, may really be coming now. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. First of all, there are massive implications for uh, for all of these tech area firms, uh, both the platforms and the service providers. But beyond that, I just want to pull the camera back for a moment here and just like keep the focus where it belongs, which is this is being um, presented as a as a big First Amendment free speech sort of issue. But it's really not. I mean, what we have to keep in mind, you know, obviously the platforms have the right to publish or not to publish uh, whatever they choose. But beyond that, what we're really talking about is this is not about the First Amendment. This is about um, a violent attack on the Capitol. It's about threats that were published on these platforms of violence against elected officials, including against the vice president, which, by the way, is not protected 
by the First Amendment. So what we're really talking about here, as you're getting to with the original question, is about power and who has the power and who should have the power uh, to, to essentially regulate our speech. And I think this is a, you know, the question is whether do you want a Mark Zuckerberg at a Facebook or a Jack Dorsey uh, at Twitter or any of these other guys to be able to have that power to decide what is the speech that we want to hear. And, and by the way, how does that square um, with democracy? And, and to your point about the other providers, I, I think the one thing that, that's incredibly important here for us to remember is there's an original sin here that goes back a number of years. This is not about last week. And it is that for years, the tech platforms either did not have or did not consistently enforce their own standards about what are the rules on their platform, what, you know, how do they um, regulate hate speech or incitement to violence. They either didn't have them or they didn't enforce them. Had they had them in place, we wouldn't find ourselves in the position that we are now because they would have been enforced all along. And I think that's the essential problem that we've got now. Dan, let me ask you, is, are you of the view that these companies are going to face, you know, severe regulations as a function of this? Um, or do you think that in the end, people are going to look at them and say that they're actually acting responsibly, given what's happened, given the feeling, by the way, in the Capitol right now? I, I don't think they're going to face huge regulation right now, but I think that's less because of what they did and more about what happened last Tuesday in Georgia, right? You know, look, we're going to learn a lot, I think, about how and why all these tech platforms acted at the same time. Again, remember, they didn't act on Wednesday night after the attack on the Capitol. They didn't act Thursday. They all acted the next day, really one after another. Maybe it was just a question of kind of conscience dominoes, or maybe there was something in terms of law enforcement going to these companies and asking them to act. Um, but I think the fact that Democrats run the Senate uh, for the next couple of years means they probably will not face any sort of regulation tied specifically to this, although obviously the some of these individual companies do have antitrust issues. And I do think Apple has maybe jumped back into the antitrust debate a little bit more with the move on parlor vis-a-vis its app store. Okay. Uh, it's a much longer conversation. I wish we could have it. I'm sure we'll have you back uh, over the, uh, the next coming days. Next on Squawk Pod, the social media story continues. The CEO of the Anti-Defamation League on the intersection of business decisions and political ones and what that means for democracy. Our entire country needs to reckon with do we really feel comfortable with these essentially media businesses promoting the most violent and hateful content? Because now we see what can result. We'll be right back. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kern along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. J.P. Morgan and Citigroup are halting donations to political action committees following last week's riot at the Capitol by President Trump's supporters. J.P. Morgan saying it's pausing contributions to both Republicans and Democrats for at least the next six months. Citi is going to be pausing donations in the first quarter. Uh, I spoke with Goldman Sachs and they're also 
uh, should be on that list. In addition, hotel chain Marriott and the Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance group say they're going to stop giving money to Republican lawmakers who backed efforts to disrupt last week's electoral vote count in Congress. So we're seeing a real move by uh, companies in terms of how they're reacting with their money. Joe? Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, and other social media companies have either banned or moved to temporarily restrict President Trump's presence in the wake of the riot at the Capitol uh, last week. A number of the companies citing the risk of incitement uh, to violence. Join us now, Jonathan Greenblatt, National Director and CEO of the Anti-Defamation League. Long time no see. JJ, nice well, how much it's been a matter of hours, I think. It's just last, was it Friday, Thursday or Friday of last week? Anyway, we're, we're going to, we love having this conversation together, the two of us. And I don't know, what, what would we call it? The slippery slope part uh, eight or something? That's, that's always kind of my, uh, you know, my worry that, that we talk about when we go back and, and forth here. A lot of times, Jonathan, you mentioned the ACLU and, and I brought them up before that, that you know, even, even they might uh, weigh in on this. And you, you've always looked at the ACLU as kind of an ally. Uh, I just want to read real quickly what, what an ACLU lawyer did say about this latest move. We understand the desire to permanently suspend him now, meaning Trump, but it should concern everyone when companies like Facebook and Twitter wield unchecked power to remove people from platforms that have become indispensable for billions, for the speech for billions, especially when political realities make those decisions so easy. So the ACLU just, I would say, they're raising a half an eyebrow uh, to this. Well, look, at the ADL, we've been fighting for the First Amendment for over 100 years, Joe. And on many times, in many times, many occasions, we have been very aligned with the ACLU. And Anthony Romero, the CEO, is a good friend of mine. But I'll be very honest, we don't always agree with them. We didn't agree with them about the way the Charlottesville rally happened, the Unite the Right melee that sort of bookended the, the domestic terror attack that we saw on Capitol Hill last week. We didn't see eye to eye on that. And I don't know that we see eye to eye on this. I won't disagree about the, the fact that some of us may feel very uncomfortable with these tech giants having so much control over free speech. But I think we should be looking at this problem in its totality, which means, Joe, it's not just the fact they choose to pull down certain voices. Joe, it's that these tech giants have chose to elevate certain voices. And the okay. fact, again, that you could take examples of speech that is not protected like blatant calls to violence and promote them on platforms that reach hundreds of millions of people. You and I have had this conversation, Joe, and it's been somewhat theoretical. Last week, we saw the real world consequences of these companies elevating the worst elements of our society. Right. And right. that I think we I think you and I and our entire country needs to reckon with. Do we really feel comfortable with these with these essentially media businesses? promoting the most violent and hateful content content because now we see what can result the uh a couple of other things that i thought were interesting so now now president trump is one person but dick costello the the former uh ceo of twitter uh, back in june actually tweeted me first capitalists who think you can separate society from businesses are going to be the first people lined up against the wall and shot in the revolution I'll happily provide video commentary. Um, and, and then in the journal, uh, Jonathan, it's just a, the, they went and, and I guess in, uh, talked to Alexia Navalny, the, the democracy advocate, scourge of Vladimir Putin, who was poisoned. Uh, and he said he gets death threats every day on Twitter 
and nothing ever happens to him, that there's violence all the time threatened on Twitter and it's selectively enforced. He, he also says uh, that while Twitter is a, is a private company, we've seen many examples in Russia and China of private companies becoming the state's best friends and enablers when it comes to censorship. So it just, it needs, don't you agree it needs to be, uh, these edicts need to be enforced on both sides, left and right, whenever violence or, or any of these, these things that we don't want published, that, that it should be equally enforced. And there's no guarantee that's going to happen. Well, look, I mean, the law is very clear. Again, inciting violence is not expressing an opinion, right? It's a call to arms that threatens lives, and that is not encompassed in the First Amendment. You can't do it on CNBC or Shark Tank, you shouldn't be able to oh, do I it agree. on Facebook and Twitter. So, so you have that. But then I also think, you know, these businesses, to your point, they have a moral obligation as well. And I think I was in, look, the Stop Hate for Profit Coalition called on Facebook to make changes this summer when we saw white supremacists subverting the platform, and they did. It took businesses, it took celebrities, it took regulators, and suddenly they started to move. And now Twitter has stepped up in a way that, you know, we commend. We called on Jack Dorsey on Friday morning to permanently ban Trump, and he did. Now, the reality is, I agree with you, companies should not be agents of the state. But companies also shouldn't be agents of chaos. And all we would ask is they apply the same kind of calculus that net broadcast networks do and newspapers do to make sure the content that flows into the mainstream of America isn't undermining that democracy. This isn't, again, abstract. We saw what happened. Five lives lost on Wednesday morning. I mean, Wednesday afternoon. It's, it's tragic and it was unavoidable. It was avoidable, Joe. It could have been avoided. Becky, yeah. Hey, Jonathan, you, you compare it to what newspapers and television stations do, and I, I appreciate that 100%. Um, it, it's just a lot easier to do it for a television or a newspaper um, because you're controlling a certain amount of information flow. The, the greatest strength of these social media platforms is also their greatest weakness. It's just this flood of information that's coming out. Um, I don't want to give them an easy out on any of this. I think they need to be held to account for this. But how do you do it when you have so much that's flooding in all the time? You figure you just write computer programs and it's going to strip off anything that sounds like it might be inciting violence? Or do you have to have a human um, part on top of that, a human component too? Becky, I think that's a very fair question. And let's just think about this for a moment. In Facebook and Twitter, you have those are two of the most innovative companies you know, in the American economy. Frankly, I would say that Facebook alone is the most sophisticated advertising platform in the history of capitalism. They earned $70 billion in 2019. I don't think we have the 2020 numbers yet. So if there was ever a business that could figure out how to leverage its extraordinary capabilities and point it toward uh, you know, better outcomes, I think that's Facebook. And But here's the other thing. New platforms need to build this into their design when they launch. That's why Parler went down. You know, Parler went down last night, and it styled itself as a platform for free speech, and yet it really became a cesspool of hate speech. The content on there killed Jeff Bezos, blow up its data centers, 70 million of us take up arms. I mean, literally, when John Moxie launched Parler, he could have done it with the right guidelines in the first place, and he didn't do it. And that's why companies like Apple and Google and Amazon are saying, you know what, we don't want to be involved with a business that's promoting right. violence. So we've got to figure this out. And I used to work in Silicon Valley. I know what they're capable of. I'm sure they right. can do this if they put the resources towards Jonathan, it. Jonathan, 
Jonathan, one of the things that's fascinating about what's happened over the weekend with Parler is the uh, responsibility has moved up the stack, if you will. It used to be that we would talk about the apps themselves, Parler uh, regulating itself, Twitter regulating itself, Facebook regulating itself. Now you have a situation where the, the platform itself, the Apples, the Googles, AWS, which is, which is providing the back-end service for a parlor, is now saying, no, no, we can't do this. Does this change the dynamic and responsibility that those folks, the Apples, Googles, and AWSs have in terms of what's going on inside these apps on their platform? And how are they going to police that? I'm thinking even of a Signal or a WhatsApp and, and the, the amount of information and sometimes misinformation that's being circulated in those circles uh, oftentimes in an encrypted fashion? So there, yeah, it's a great question, and there are a few pieces to it. So number one, I do think the kind of sense that we belong and have to behave in a moral way and belong to a shared society, it's moved up the stack. So you've got not only the companies that you know, enable you to download the applications, like a Google or an Apple, you've got hosting companies like an Amazon or a Microsoft, you've got payment services, you've got web security companies like Cloudflare, all of them are now beginning to realize, hey, maybe we actually need to think about the businesses that we do business with and the whole value chain, if you will. Um, I do think part of what's happening here is they're realizing that employees are no longer gonna tolerate it. Their employees and their ability to attract talented engineers at Amazon, at Microsoft, they're saying, whoa, 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 we don't wanna be at a company that does business with, you know, again, the worst elements of society. So you're seeing this change. I think it's a healthy one for the economy. Ultimately, it doesn't make me comfortable that a few companies control speech, but at least they need to enforce their own terms of service. That's yeah. all we're talking about. Well, we'll have you back, John. And it, it's, you know, I, people worry we get to the point where the, the cancel culture we see on, on college campuses where conservatives basically aren't welcome to even come in. We're not talking about, we're talking about banning ideas, not banning uh, hate speech or violence. And, and we just worry that these guys That's are That's a different conversation. Places. Well, That's we worry that these guys that are in charge at these places are perfectly capable of, of, of something like that. And, that, and I, I, that, that we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. A lot of people don't. Anyway, Jonathan, we'll, we're, we're going to have you back and, and we'll have slippery slope part. I don't know what it is now. I don't, I, I don't know the French for, for those, those numbers when they get too high. We'll see you later, though. Thanks. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening and for starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts.
find us on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.